are. It's episode 565 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It's Monster Kid Radio, and I'm your host, writer, and producer, Derek M. Cook. But I had nothing to do with the music that you're hearing right now. This song comes to us courtesy of a band under the High Tide Recordings label. The band is called The Surfer Jets, and I've been a big fan of their stuff ever since I first discovered them a couple of years ago on Bandcamp. Well, they've got a new album coming out in April called Roller Fink, and I think y'all are gonna dig it because I dig it, and we're listening to a song from this upcoming album right now called She Loves You. The Surfer Jets are a four-piece band based out of Toronto, Ontario, and they're just all kinds of awesome. Plus, they've got a tour schedule. They've got a lot of stuff coming up, so I'm gonna recommend you check out their website over at www.thesurfrejets.com. That's T-H-E-S-U-R-F-R-A-J-E-T-T-E-S.com. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes, of course. And when you do check out their website, let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. All right, let's talk about what's happening this week on the show. So I mentioned this on Facebook, and I think I mentioned this in a previous episode of Monster Kid Radio as well. The Hollywood Theater in Portland, Oregon, which is one of my favorite movie theaters. I've been there many times, covered many movies there over the years. It's the home of the Lovecraft Film Festival, typically. It's just an amazing theater. And I hadn't had a chance to see a movie there in a while. But when their website says they're going to be showing Creature of Destruction, you know I gotta go. So I did. And that's what we're going to talk about in this week's episode of Monster Kid Radio. I ended up going solo. The person that actually gave me a heads up about this playing at the Hollywood wasn't able to go herself, Dominique. So I went by myself. But you know what? I still had a good time. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that whole experience. Not just the movie, but how it was seeing a movie at the Hollywood Theater after so long. I'm looking forward to talking about that here on the show. So that's what we're going to get. Plus... You know, you got Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland and Mark Matsky's Beta Capsule Review. Wouldn't be a complete episode of Monster Kid Radio without some amazing segments from some amazing segment producers. So we've got all of that coming up, and uh, yeah, let's get into it right now. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror film. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos the Hands of Fate, and one of the creators of the original chill role-playing game. This book recreates the thrills of the classic monster versus monster film. We've got vampires, werewolves, mummies, Psychic Twins, Scheming Madmen, and plenty of unexpected chills. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors in print, or for Kindle at Amazon.com and other fine retailers. Coming soon in other ebook formats. Find out more at CushingHorrors.com or SDSullivan.com, and support Steve's work through Patreon at HeySteve.com. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again. And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Who are you trying to protect? Please, you cannot do anything. 
I can show what's happening to these children. Baronsky can't always make geniuses, can he? Sometimes something goes wrong and you get a brat like Hugo or a, a mob of mindless goons to do Baronsky's dirty work for him. This is a macabre mystery. Its location, a remote mountaintop. An uncharted corner of Europe that holds all the menace and the power of the unknown. The people who live here go in hourly terror of their lives. For the man who rules and dominates them is a scientist with a mania to reshape destiny. And these people are his ill-fated guinea pigs. He calls them the Gamma People. We mustn't leave tonight. He knows. I'm sure he knows. We are started and we must at least try. Too late to turn back now. They'll kill you. Then they'll kill me. Sooner or later they would have done that anyway. You asked me about the Gamma Ray, Mr. Wilson. Before your mind dies, you will experience all the extremes of heat. It will not be pleasant, Mr. Wilson. 180 degrees. 10 more degrees, Mr. Wilson. And then... Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. An elderly toy maker hatches a nefarious plot he calls Operation Android Zero in the ninth episode of Ultra 7. One blustery night, Soga and Furuhashi are on patrol in the pointer when a blonde woman runs out in front of the car. Screeching to a stop, the Ultra Guardsmen are surprised when she calmly asks for Dan Moriboshi. Trying to make her acquaintance, Furuhashi claims to be Dan, but his over-eagerness is immediately punished when she attempts to electrocute him with a brooch-like device. Amagi translates the language on the brooch to read Android Command Zero. Soga and Dan set out to locate the assassin, along the way encountering scores of children sporting realistic toy weapons and red patches, bearing the same insignia as the brooch. The items are being distributed by an old man with a portable toy stand, who packs up and leaves when the Ultra Guard shows up. Both the brooch and red patches prove to be made of space metal, suggesting an alien agenda is afoot. And when Soga and Dan are lured to a department store by the blonde woman, they learn the terrifying truth from the toy maker himself. Android Command Zero is a plot to use hypnosis waves to control the children of Japan, turning them into remorseless killers. The toy guns are, in fact, disabled weapons more powerful than any on Earth, which the hypnosis waves will activate reasoning that no one would have the heart to use deadly force against an army of children. The mustachioed man anticipates the swift destruction of adult society, not only in Japan, but around the world. Dan must transform into Ultra 7, but how can he do it without Soga learning his secret? Operation Android Zero offers what is arguably the most chilling premise of the series thus far, that being the conversion of children into heartless killing machines. The scene in which the toy maker reveals his plan is incredibly effective, 
leaving all the violence of Android Command Zero to the imagination of the viewer. One thing not left to the imagination in Episode 9 is the image of Ultra 7 untransforming into Dan Moriboshi just moments before being reunited with the Ultra Guard, a cool visual flourish that helps offset the story's heavier theme. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. children behind their fiery hypnotic eyes lurk the demon forces of another world <coughs> it's them or us for these are the children of the damned Children of the Damned, even more eerie and startling than the sensational village of the Damned. I think they are the cells of man, advanced maybe a million years. Could they actually be creatures from other planets, centuries beyond us scientifically, invading the Earth disguised as children? There's Paul from England, Nina from Russia, Rashid from India, Mi Ling from China, Ago from Nigeria, and Mark from America. Who are they really? As we of the Earth push further and further into space, are they the answer to our probing? They're not kids! Have you ever seen them laugh, run, play? No, by God, but you've seen them kill. The ambassadors of all the Earth's nations experience their defiance. Paul. We must know how to make that machine. We'd never think of trying to force you, of course. Theirs is the power of evil, turning friend against friend, hating, killing, yet armed with no weapon you can see or touch. Unless we can learn to live with them, we may cease to live at all. Can any force on Earth stop their fury? At, at this very moment, they could be making all those men out there turn their guns on one another. author of Psycho comes the ultimate in sheer bone-chilling horror the house that drip blood 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 terror waits for you in every room in the house that drip blood climb its creaking stairs walk down its dark and chilling corridors where untold horrors wait at every turn the house that drip blood a madman lurking on the staircase, a severed head in the closet, coffins in the cellar, vampires, vixens, and victims. You'll find them all in The House That Drip Blood, in color from the Cinerama Releasing Corporation, rated GP, all ages, parental guidance.
Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today we are going to continue with the series, Famous Monsters, Low-Tech Social Media. Up till now, I have been going chronologically through the early issues. Today I'm going to jump into the more recent past, and you will hear why in a few moments. In FM 66 from May of 1970, Famous Monsters presented us to Professor Grubeard, a source of on-demand information not unlike a low-tech IMDb. Here is the brief introduction of our brainy professor. World's oldest answer man will deal with as many questions as he can, per issue, at no charge to FM readers, just direct your inquiry to Professor Grubeard in New York City. It was a one-page feature which included several questions from fans, along with photos of the stars asked about. Here is a sample, the first question taken on by Professor Grubeard. Is it true that the movie Psycho was based upon a true story? I remember reading someplace that it was, although I find it a bit hard to believe, Mrs. Eleanor Stamper, Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. Truth, as they say is often stranger and more difficult to believe than fiction. Robert Bloch, author of the novel Psycho, on which the film was based, was inspired to write his macabre masterpiece after reading a newspaper article concerning vicious murders in a small town. What interested him the most was the fact that the killer went undetected for so long. All the grisly and gory details, however, came from the darkest depths of the imagination of Mr. Block. The Professor Grubier feature would appear in just about every issue of Famous Monsters until August of 1974. Now, the reason I'm talking about this feature this week is that the only mention of today's movie, Creature of Destruction, appeared on Professor Grubier's page. In FM 106 from April of 1974, there was a picture of the Creature of Destruction with this question and answer. I saw a TV film in which there was a creature that looked an awful lot like a poor man's blackie lagoon. I wonder if you know what picture I am talking about. Seth Carson. If this is a picture of the miserable specimen you're talking about, it was the Creature of Destruction, an El Cheapo remake of the She-Creature. And don't ask me why, because that's a question even I don't know the answer to. So, the professor threw in some subjective opinion on the Larry Buchanan remake of the Edward Kahn classic. Just three issues later, we would see the last of Professor Grubeard. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. See what happens when you start talking trash about Creature of Destruction? You disappear. You get Professor Grubeard. Did. I don't know. Oh, boy. Uh, This movie. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Look, I had a really good time going to see Creature of Destruction. This happened on a Tuesday night, so I get off work at 6. I drove down to Portland, went to the Hollywood Theater, checked the place out, got in there, got some popcorn, and settled in for the movie. Now, I'd been to the Hollywood Theater the previous week for the Found Footage Festival. They were touring, and I went to go see their live show, which was awesome. So I'd been to the Hollywood before, but this was the first time I went to go see a movie. And, wow, it was so surreal. Now, I've been slowly getting back into society, slowly 
getting out there and enjoying some of the things that I used to enjoy pre-COVID. And going to the Hollywood Theater to see a movie is right there on that list. I don't know if you'd call it a bucket list, a COVID list, a vaccine list. I, I don't know what you'd call it, but whatever. Going to see a movie at the Hollywood was definitely on the list. I miss that place. Now, longtime listeners of the show know that the Hollywood Theater is the traditional home of the Lovecraft Film Festival in CthulhuCon, which I, with the exception of last year and the very first year I lived in Oregon, I'd gone to every year. Even the off year, where they did something at the Clinton Street Theater instead, or they did something in the middle of the year, I was there. I was a presence at the Lovecraft Film Festival. I love that time. That's such a an amazing thing to go and do and experience, especially at the Hollywood Anyway, I guess I was just feeling like I was missing the whole Hollywood experience. And I don't know about you, but as I've gotten older, I've started to learn and appreciate the different popcorn options at different movie theaters. The Joy Cinema has a particular kind of popcorn. The Kickens Theater up here in Vancouver, oh, that popcorn, it's kind of the best. The Hollywood Theater took me a little while to warm up to, to be completely honest. I didn't like it at first. But now, oh, it's so good, too. And it's all, you know, it's popcorn, so how can you make it different? But there's a difference, you'll notice. So I did buy a bag of Hollywood Theater popcorn. Sat down in the back. This was in one of the smaller houses upstairs. The Hollywood Theater has three screens. There's the main screen downstairs for the bigger shows. That's where I saw the Found Footage Festival. And during the Lovecraft Film Festival, that's where most of the features are played. Upstairs are two smaller houses, and that's where Creature was showing. So I was a little concerned ahead of time that it was going to be a full house. I guess I wasn't really feeling like spending time with a lot of people that night, but it wasn't. I'd say the theater, that particular screen, that particular room, it was, I don't know, maybe a third full of people. One of the reasons, and pretty much the main reason why I didn't want to see Creature of Destruction with a whole bunch of people in the same theater is because a movie like this, okay, all kidding aside, at the top of this, um, it has a reputation, as do a lot of Larry Buchanan films, and sometimes they're deserved. But as I say here on the show, I'm about celebrating these movies, and I just wanted to go and enjoy the film. I didn't want to have to contend with ironic laughter or people thinking that they're trying out for the next season of Mystery Science Theater 3000. I, I just wanted to enjoy the film. It's okay to have a fun time, sure, but you know, shut your yap, you know? <laughs> and I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to put up with that. And you know what? It was fine, at least from where I was sitting. I was shocked. This was a very respectful crowd, and it wasn't just a bunch of young kids or whatever. It was an interesting mix of folks. There was a guy and his, uh, I assume, significant other there in the theater who was uh, dressed incredibly nice. There were a bunch of kids down in the front. It was an interesting mix. Now, I say I didn't hear anything, but apparently somebody else did. Because about half an hour in, near the front of the theater, somebody did yell at somebody else to stop talking. But really, I didn't hear anything. So, you know, it didn't ruin my experience. And I was grateful for that. Because I wanted to see what this movie could bring when I'm just watching it, you know, without 
you know, Joel and the bots or Mike and the bots or whoever in the bots or whoever, you know, piping in and leave me some comments. And okay, for the record, I don't know if this movie was ever covered on Mystery Science Theater 3000. I guess I just assumed that it was MST3K fair, but I don't know. Now, this movie, it is like a lot of Larry Buchanan's films from this time, a remake of a previous film, a previous better film. Uh, in the AIP library. In this particular case, Creature of Destruction is a remake of She-Creature, which is a good film. I, I enjoy She-Creature quite a bit. I don't talk about it as much as I should, and I don't know, have I even covered it here on the show proper? I may have. I'd have to go back and double-check, but either way, I like She-Creature. It's fun. You know, it's got some great monster design in it. You know, oh man, Blaisdell, top-notch. Now, you don't get Paul Blaisdell creature design in this. You get a weird looking monster. Now go look at the cover art for this episode, either on YouTube or actually on whatever podcatcher you're downloading the show on, and you'll see the creature from Creature of Destruction. It's very clearly a rubber suit. It's very clearly uh, not a very uh, expensive mask. And that's okay, you know? I like movies like Sting of Death, where it's obvious the guy is wearing something that's hobbled together with garbage bags and duct tape, pretending to be a giant wear jellyfish. But, you know, I, <laughs> there's just something about the way this was shot that really exploited all of its flaws. And I think maybe that's the issue with a lot of the Larry Buchanan films that came out during this time. They're shot so quickly that there's not a lot of time spent on cinematography and lighting and to be fair, production design, but that's not where I'm going with this. Where I'm going with this is that if they had kept the monster hidden a little bit more in the shadows a little bit more, it would have been more effective. Now, my understanding is, and I'm like 99% sure this is the case, these films were designed for television. They were television product. So I don't know if that was part of the decision not to get overly moody with the lighting. I, I don't know. But if they had just kept it in the shadows a little bit more, it probably would have looked a little bit better. Les Tremaine is in this movie. Les Tremaine, man, he is really good playing this hypnotist character. I, I really liked him in this. He uh, is giving it his all, despite the fact that he probably knew darn well what kind of project he was getting involved with. He is head and shoulders the best actor, the best performer in this film. Everybody else is good, you know, doing what they need to do. But Les Tremaine, solid work. The music in the film, you know, I was going to talk about the music. They had the entire American International Pictures Library to pull from. And a lot of times the Buchanan remakes will actually pull music from the original film. So I'm sure there was some she creature in this film score. But what I noticed is that some of the library music that was used in this or music that eventually made its way into the AIP library also turns up in Dracula versus Frankenstein, which I love. So, you know, I got a little bit of a, a little warm feeling inside when I'm hearing some of the music that I normally associate with Dracula versus Frankenstein, which I keep meaning to revisit. I, I really need to go back and rewatch that. That keeps coming up in various conversations I've had lately, at least three times, I'd say, within the past couple of weeks it's come up. Must be time to dive back into that film. Oh boy. <laughs> I love that movie. Anyway, the movie itself, you know, it's a 
got a little bit of a, a pacing issue here and there. It feels like they're really kind of stretching it a little bit for television. It's constructed for, well, a television experience. Uh, it's got these subtle commercial breaks kind of ready-made or ready-placed into the film. Watching the movie was such an interesting experience, so because this was on 16 millimeter, and you know most movie theaters these days they got rid of all their film stuff. They don't show film anymore. It's all digital. All the studios are showing digital, and unless it's a movie theater like the Hollywood or the I assume the Kiggins or some of these other places that you know, do prestige programming or second run or you know whatever, you know there's just no way for them to play film. So in this particular case, they had a 16 millimeter projector up in the projection booth. And I don't know if they had two different projectors going at once, which would have been kind of weird because it's just 16 millimeter. doesn't take up that much space, like a 35 millimeter, but you could really tell where the real changes would have been, which again, 16 millimeter doesn't normally have real changes. So I don't know if that was an artifact or a leftover from it being projected or converted or transferred onto some sort of magnetic medium or videotape medium for television or what. But it wasn't a smooth transition. You actually could see the film run out and even the beginning of the next reel as it was picking back up. It sounded fine, but now that I think about it, I wonder what caused that to happen. And you could tell it was film. It had this, well, depth that you don't get with video. And I've talked about this so much. It just comes up all the time. There's a depth to film. I am glad that video exists. But if you could watch something on film, there's a depth to it. There's just a, a different kind of reality or experience that you're getting with it when you watch a movie on film. And I'm so glad this was available on film. This was part of a series that is hosted at the Hollywood Theater called the Repressed Cinema Series. This is the first time I went to any of their shows. I had no idea what I was in for. It started with uh, a short clip of a younger John Waters telling us that there's no smoking allowed in the movie theater while he's smoking a cigarette. And then it kind of turns into a, you should probably smoke in the theater because it will generate garbage for somebody to have to come and pick up. So you're actually helping people keep their jobs by smoking in the theater. It's very John Waters. I'm not sure what it's from. I'm not as well versed in the cinema and whatever of John Waters to really know, but I thought that was fun. And then we had an introduction by whoever runs the repressed cinema series. It was not introduced by anybody. It wasn't presented by anybody. And honestly, this clip really didn't do much. It was basically just saying, hey, welcome to Repressed Cinema, where we show movies that may not have gotten the light of day or as much of attention as they should have, that sort of thing. I'm, and I couldn't even make out his name. Here's the movie. Not a lot of information given. And maybe I just am feeling like I could have done a better job because this is something that I used to do back in the day pre-COVID. I love introducing movies, man. I also love making my video clips sound really good, and the sound wasn't that great either. So he could have been telling us everything there is to know about Creature of Destruction in a very short period of time, and I didn't hear it. I didn't understand it. The movie, sound was fine. Picture, 
you know, like I said, it was film. You can see that it was on film. It had some film damage, which actually makes me feel like, I don't know, there's, there's an instant nostalgia to it that I really enjoy. The still images aren't 100% still because there's the, the jitter that you get from film running through a projector, the opening credits, the title's supposed to be still in the center of the screen, but it's still wobbling a little bit. It's actually an effect that I try to emulate sometimes when I'm putting together a movie stream for the Monster Kid Movie Club. You'll have to let me know if it works or not. I do like that every once in a while things will kind of shift out of focus real quick because, again, you've got that film strip jittering as it's going through the projector. It's just part of the experience, and I miss that so much. So if nothing else, I had a really good time watching Creature of Destruction at the Hollywood Theater because it had all of the elements, well, almost all of the elements that I need to enjoy a movie like that. I mean, you've got the good popcorn, or at least the popcorn that I've learned to love. You've got a movie being shown with everybody being pretty much well, respectful to the fact that we're all here watching a movie and we paid our ticket to watch a movie and not listen to some Yahoo three rows down pretending he's on television or trying to make his buddies laugh. In fact, when the movie ended and the house lights came on, remember that couple that I mentioned earlier that were all dressed very business-like? Uh, they turned to another couple that apparently was there with them and in all sincerity, have you never seen this movie before? And they actually, I didn't get to hear it because I didn't want to be that creepy guy eavesdropping, but they actually started having a conversation about the film like it was a piece of serious cinema as they were walking out. I loved that so much. I love the fact that it was actually filmed, so it had that going for it as well. The downside to the whole thing, the Hollywood Theater, in terms of their uh, drink selection, not very great, at least for me. I don't drink a lot of alcohol, uh, especially when I'm out and about doing something. So, you know, I couldn't really partake of any of their alcohol offerings. And they work with a local, I think local, company to provide their soda. But it's not anything fancy and it's not really my cup of tea or soda. So there was that missing. But the biggest thing, and that's stupid, I know, but the biggest thing that I missed was just seeing with friends, seeing with people that are there to have a shared experience leading up to watching and during and then after the film. Like if I had been there with, not to put her on blast, but Dominique, who was the person who actually alerted me to the fact that this movie was playing at the Hollywood. Hi, Dominique. Love you. Um... <laughs> Or the Lovecraft Film Festival crowd. That, that's the other thing, is I really missed that kind of experience. And really, I would love to go back to the Hollywood Theater next week for Inframan and 35mm. That would be a blast. I mean, come on, Inframan? And it's a film print again? Oh, man. Oof. I am going to pay attention to what the Hollywood's going to be doing, as well as the Kagan's Theater up here in Vancouver, I know, like I said, we're starting to come out of the era of the pandemic and theaters are starting to get busy again. They're starting to show stuff again. And I'm really looking forward to having these experiences again and bringing you along with me, whether I bring a recorder to the show or I just talk about it posthumously. That's not really quite the right word. I mean, unless we're talking about anything written by Professor Grubeard after he kind of made a few snide comments about creature destruction. 
from the coldest and darkest regions of the sea, as old as time itself, comes the most terrifying monster the world has ever seen. The Creature! Slithering over the face of the earth came a monster from beyond the stars. Inhuman, indestructible. Life on this planet was doomed when it conquered the world! These will be the strangest, most terrifying motion pictures you have ever seen. You will see monsters from a nightmare. The most horrifying creatures that ever made you wake up screaming. The She-Creature! And it conquered the world! Okay, well, that brings us to the end of the show. Here we are wrapping up episode 565. We've been going 565 episodes. What amazes me is that y'all have been along for the ride, whether you're a new listener or you've been there since the very beginning. Thank you for downloading the show, listening to the show, sharing the show with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, Discord, Reddit, all these places that, well, we have a presence, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Discord, or Reddit, Patreon. You know, we try to be as active as we can online. I'm still working on trying to get more active on Reddit, but we do have an official Reddit. You can find the links to it, as well as everything else we've talked about in this episode over at monsterkidradio.net. This is where you're going to find links to everything that we have going on, including this upcoming weekend's movie show. Oh, boy, the movie stream at the Monster Kid Movie Club. Once again, we're teaming up with Gary Khan, which is a role-playing game convention, but we're still showing monster movies. This weekend's movie offerings have been programmed by Stephen D. Sullivan, who's actually going to be doing some introductions to the movies as well. What kind of movies are you going to see? The Thief of Baghdad, Destination Space, Monos the Hands of Fate. I started with the most prestige picture and went down, down, down. Although, you know I love me some Monos. Anyway, go to twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio this weekend, Saturday at 11 a.m. Pacific for the pre-show. The movies kick in around noon, and you're going to get a whole bunch of movies showing all day on Saturday. I'm looking forward to that. And then on Tuesday, the Monster Kid Astronomy Club, we're back. We're going to be showing a couple of movies that have to do with Mars. Still haven't finalized exactly what we're showing, but we're showing movies, science fiction, Mars, um, and some other fun. Anyway, that's what we're up to. What's coming up next week on the show? I'm scheduled to record with a brand new voice, somebody who's never been on the show before, Michael Mastermaker. He's an artist, and he loves his classic monster movies. I know we've talked about the old Dark House on the show in the past. I want to go back to the old Dark House. That's what we're doing with Michael Mastermaker next week on Monster Kid Radio. We're going to talk about the original film, of course, because that's the better of the two. And yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't talked with him yet, but should be a good time. So that's coming up next week. After that, I'm not sure yet. Stay tuned. MonsterKidRadio.net, of course, is where you're going to find any updates as well about what's coming up with the podcast. Oh, also, um, I have decided that, uh, and you probably already know by now because I'm not saying I'm bringing any coverage from it. I did not go to Inframan in 35 millimeter. I have had trouble sleeping earlier this week and three days in a row of waking up irrationally at 2.30 in the morning, super hot, sweaty, just for no reason. 
and fought to get back to sleep. And I know that if I went to go see a movie, even if the theater was only, what did I say in the recording? Half full, a third full? Enough people in a movie theater, in the dark, a little bit of body heat kind of combining, I would have passed out and it would have been a waste of time and money. So I did not go to Inframan in 35 millimeter. I know, bad monster kid. I will make it a point though within the next few weeks to watch it on Blu-ray, okay? I promise. Until next week, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the new song, She Loves You, from the band The Surfer Jets. It's coming from their new album, Roller Fink, which is copyright 2022, The Surfer Jets. You can find them at thesurferjets.com or thesurferjets.com bandcamp.com. I'm going to spell it for you again. It's the, and then Surfer Jets, S-U-R-F-R-A-J-E-T-T-E-S. Go check them out. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name is Derek Kim Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao. (laughs) 